Amen. Amen. Good to see all of you out today, especially, like I said, on a holiday weekend. First Peter chapter two, beginning at verse 18. First Peter chapter two, beginning at verse 18. This morning, a little bit unusual. This message comes with a warning. This message will not appeal at all to your flesh. Your fallen human nature will recoil at the truth in this passage of Scripture this morning. But if you are here this morning and you truly desire to experience the highest quality of life with God that results in becoming more like Jesus Christ, then this message is for you. This message ties in to last week where Peter talked to us about being witnesses, energetic witnesses for God. And now in this passage, he's going to talk to us about suffering and pain and enduring hardships. And, and the reason why these tie together is for this reason. For the most part, we're not going to show people the greatness of our salvation and our Savior and the reality of what we really have in God when everything's going well in our lives. Even an atheist who doesn't believe in God can project to other people outwardly that, you know, their life is pretty good whenever everything's going well for them. The difference is for us as Christians, one of the reasons why God allows suffering and pain and adverse circumstances is because, first of all, he may want to grow us in such a way that can only come about through going through such trial. And secondly, in order to be sometimes a witness for God, sometimes the greatest way he can reach through our lives into other people's lives is when they see us going through such horrific circumstances, and yet somehow we're thriving spiritually in the midst of it all. That's why Peter writes what he does. He also, in this passage, I think subtly, is contrasting a Christian with a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's a difference. In other words... Even in this auditorium today, there's three different kinds of people here today. There are probably some unbelievers sprinkled throughout the auditorium. People who've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. All I would say to you is I hope that something that is said here today may spark within you the desire to want to reach out to God and invite Him into your life. Secondly, there are Christians here today. There are people who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know you're a child of God. You know your sins are forgiven. You know you're on your way to heaven. But then there are disciples. Disciples are different from Christians. Because disciples are those who are willing to take up a cross and follow Jesus. Disciples aren't just those who are saved. Disciples are those who are willing to take up a cross and follow Jesus. And so in this passage of Scripture, 
Peter, I think, again, is going to contrast disciples from Christians and differentiate them. And I hope today that some of you who may be here and are Christians, but not disciples, that you may hear something today that might spark within you the desire to go beyond where you're at right now with God and to truly be willing to take up that cross and closely follow Jesus Christ. And then for those of you that are striving to be disciples, and especially for those of you right now who are going through some real trials in your life, some suffering, some adverse circumstances, I'm hoping that in some strange way that what we're going to talk about today may be a comfort and a reassurance in your life, a confirmation, an encouragement in your life as well. With that said, listen to the words of Peter beginning in 1 Peter 2, verse 18. Slaves, by the way, when we see the word slaves in the New Testament, I know I got really far, didn't I, before I stopped. Uh, When we see the word slaves in the New Testament, please don't get the picture of slavery as it was in America. Nothing like it. These were primarily household servants that had education and privileges as much as anyone else in the household. The closest thing I could come up with today would be, and obviously it's not a complete parallel, but would be like butlers and maids and and nannies and personal assistants. Not the kind of slavery that we are accustomed to knowing in our own country. So he says, slaves, be subject. Arrange yourself under your authority, your master, with all reverence. And then he says, not only to those who are good and gentle, not only to those who deserve it, but he says also to those who are perverse, to those who don't deserve it. Be willing to arrange yourself under their authority. Wow. Tough stuff. You mean there are times in my life where God's going to want me to put up with an authority over me and, and arrange myself willingly under their authority even though they don't deserve it? Yeah. Yeah. For a couple reasons. One, it's when we truly live out that we believe that God is sovereign and he's in control and there's a higher purpose and reason for it that we might not know at the time. And God wants us to learn to trust him even in adverse circumstances. That's why Paul would say many times when he was in prison, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. He didn't say I'm a prisoner of Rome because he's like, if God didn't want me here, I wouldn't be here. And though I'm personally going through adverse circumstances, I know that, and I'm trusting, God has a reason for me being under this authority and going through what I'm going through. Another reason why God wants us to learn submission 
to authority is because if we don't learn how to place ourselves under human authority, we will always struggle also to place ourselves under God's authority. We will fight against God's authority in our life if we fight against human authority. And you might say, well, but wait a minute. You know, again, these human authorities can treat me badly. Yeah, but there are times in our life as Christians where God asks of us to do something or to experience something that we don't understand. He doesn't necessarily always tell us why we're going through what we go through. All he says is, you got to trust me in this. And God wants to build into our lives the practice of literally arranging ourselves under authority, whether they deserve it or not. Because there's always going to be instances throughout my Christian life where I'm going to be in an experience, even with God, that I don't understand. And maybe isn't fair. And maybe I don't deserve it. But God's saying, are you going to be a disciple? (laughs) Are you going to be a Christian? A Christian will struggle always with arranging themselves under God's authority. Disciples go, God, I don't get it, but I'm yours. This is my cross. I'll embrace it. Secondly, notice what Peter says. For this finds God's favor. And I want you to see in verse 19 and 20 that verse 19 starts out with God's favor and ends with God's favor. And everything in in there, he's talking about how we can find God's favor. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. He says, for this finds God's favor. If because of conscience toward God, someone endures hardships in suffering unjustly. Unjustly. And then he goes on to say, for what credit is it if you sin and are mistreated and endure it? But if you do good and suffer and so endure, this finds favor with God. We have a warped understanding, first of all, of God's favor. We think, and it's even taught in many churches today, and even Christians embrace it. That I experience God's favor when I'm healthy, when nothing's wrong in my life, when there are no adverse circumstances or trials or suffering, and when I got all the things that I want. Then I know God must be favoring me and blessing me. Well, the Bible says that we can experience God's favor even when we suffer. Even when we suffer and we don't deserve it. Because God has higher purposes at work. You see. Think of Mary. The Bible says Mary was highly favored by God. And we sometimes get very sentimental and romantic about it. Oh, Mary, mother of God, highly favored. And we forget that Yes, she was highly favored, which meant she spent her whole life having her character questioned by most people. Because most people didn't buy the fact she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Oh, and being highly favored meant she had to make a trip when she was nine months pregnant all the way down to Bethlehem. And being highly favored meant instead of having a baby in a nice antiseptic hospital room, she had a baby in an animal place. 
and laid her baby in a feeding trough. She was highly favored. And she was highly favored by watching her eldest son murdered on a cross when he was in his early 30s. Highly favored. See, we have a warped understanding of what it means to receive God's favor. See, God's love is a perfecting love, not a pampering love. God wants us to experience the highest quality of life with him. And he wants to make us more like Jesus. And sometimes that can only come through allowing adverse circumstances and suffering because sometimes he's got to get our undivided attention. Sometimes he wants to reach through us through what we're going through adversely and reach into somebody else's life and can only do that sometimes in the worst of circumstances. So instead of looking at God's favor as everything goes right in my life, and I'm always feeling well, and I have everything that I want, we need to start looking at God's favor from a biblical perspective. From the way a disciple would look at it, not the way Christians look at it. Because let's face it, when a Christian goes through suffering, especially undeservedly, the first question a Christian will ask usually is, God, why am I going through this? I don't deserve this. A Christian will many times get bitter when they suffer rather than better. A Christian many times will drift away from the Lord and distance themselves from a God that would allow them to suffer unjustly, undeservedly, and then begin to drift away from their brothers and sisters in Christ. But a disciple will say things like, God, if this is what can bring me closer to you, if this is something that can grow me, if this is something that can bring glory to you, if this is something that you can use to touch someone else's life for eternity, then God, bring it on. I embrace it. That's the difference. That's the difference between a Christian and a disciple. Because Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you'll be willing to take up that cross and follow me. So you can become a Christian without taking up that cross of discipleship. And even the book of Acts, Luke writes in Acts 14, 22, that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. And disciples get that. Because first of all, we're living amongst a lot of people who are not like us. And this is not our final home. And we understand we live in a cursed earth. So therefore, suffering is going to be part of our lot. And God reassuringly tells us, but child, don't worry about it. Even though you're going to suffer down here, it's going to ultimately be for your good and my glory. And then he says in verse 19, for this finds God's favor if because of conscience toward God, someone endures suffering unjustly. Conscience toward God. In other words, Peter's saying, a disciple is someone who's sensitive to the strategic position that God's placing them in during these times of suffering. Something we talked about last week. Instead of asking again the question of, God, why am I the only Christian at work? Why am I the only Christian at school? Why am I the only Christian in my family? And all that, looking at it from the perspective of God trusts me enough to be a light in the midst of all that darkness. 
And I have a strategic position that I'm holding here for God. And when I go through hard times and people are observing me, I have a conscience toward God that God has me here experiencing this for a specific reason. And again, he might not even give us all the reasons why or all the answers, but I can trust him. Because that's what disciples do. Disciples say, God, if this is the cross you want for me, bring it on. This is how I can grow. This is how I can bring glory to you. If this is how you can reach through me to touch other people, I'm embracing this cross. Then he says, in verse 21, For to this you were called... Wow. Peter's saying, Christian, realize that suffering is part of our calling. Rather than looking at suffering again as, oh, when I suffer, when I go through adverse circumstances and trials, God must not like me. God must have turned his back on me. I must have done something to tick God off and he's punishing me. No. No. We're called to suffer. It is part of our calling because it's through suffering that God also can build endurance. If you go back up to verses 19 and 20, he talks about endurance. He uses that word three times. And it's a Greek word that I've talked to you a lot about over the years. It's the Greek word hupomone. It means one who will bear up under a heavy load, one who will remain in difficult circumstances and not give up and give in, one who is able to focus beyond the current pressures and face things triumphantly. That's what it means to endure. And the only way God can build endurance in our lives is to go through something that we're enduring. And the reason why we need endurance is because life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. And life is going to bring trials. Life is going to bring pain. Life is going to bring suffering and disappointment and hurt and on and on and on. And if we don't learn to let God build this endurance into our lives, then when bad things happen, we crumble. When bad things happen, we automatically wave the white flag and give up. Say, I'm done. But when we as Christians allow ourselves to become disciples and let God build endurance into our life, then, as Nicole shared with us, as we sung about today, then whatever comes my way through Christ, I can overcome it. Because I realize that my faith and what God has placed inside of me is invincible. Nothing can beat me with God. And I can go through anything and everything with God. My faith is strong enough to stand up to the storms of life. That's what Jesus talked about when he said, be careful how you build your life as a Christian. Are you building on sinking sand so that when storms come, the house just crumbles? Because there's no foundation there. There's nothing below the water line. 
Or are you taking time to build such a strong foundation in in your life that when those storms come, and they will come, that your house can stand no matter what hurricane comes into your life? That's why I put out there this past week on one of my pages, I say that we as Christians and as churches, as local churches, do ourselves a disservice when we always take the easy way. When we always want it easy. Because the only thing that builds the strength and the endurance and all of that that we need in our lives is by doing the tough stuff. It toughens us up. It gives us an inner strength and stamina and endurance to go over the long haul rather than just Short spurts, which is why you'll see Christians who get excited after something for a little bit, and then they're like a shooting star that lights up for a while, but then boom, that's it. Because they never took the time to build below the waterline and really shore up their foundation And something eventually is going to come into their life or the life of their local church, and it's going to rock their world. And they're just going to be crushed or they're just going to cut and run when times get tough. It's what happens today. You see it all over the place, even amongst Christians. That's why Peter's saying we need disciples today. Not just people who know they're a child of God and their sins are forgiven and they're on their way to heaven. We need people who are willing to accept the calling of God and take up that cross daily and follow Jesus Christ. Enduring hardships, you see. Not ever always taking the easy road, but sometimes doing the hard stuff. For he says in verse 21, for to this you were called since Christ also suffered for you. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Jesus' suffering for a moment. Hopefully, when we think about Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, being willing to go through adverse circumstances and extreme pain for me, Maybe that will inspire and motivate me when I begin to feel sorry for myself and think somehow life isn't fair and God must not like me because he's allowed this suffering to come into my life. Wait a minute. Jesus suffered, and he suffered for you and for me. Leaving an example, leaving behind a model to be imitated by those who are followers. Because notice, Peter goes on to say, for you to follow in his steps. By the way, the word follow there means to follow closely. A disciple isn't someone that follows Jesus at a distance. Someone who literally follows close. In fact, it's very interesting that when you study the Gospels, when it came to even the time of Peter's denial, the Bible very interestingly tells us, that Peter was following Jesus at that point at a distance, which made him susceptible to denying the Lord. God doesn't want us 
to follow him at a distance. He wants us to follow him up close because he says he wants us to follow right in his steps, in the footprints that he laid down, in the impressions that he left while he was here. He wants us as believers to get to a point as disciples where we literally are walking in the footsteps that Jesus laid down for us. That's a disciple. See, what Peter's going to point out is that Jesus didn't die for us just to be a Christian. Jesus died for us so that we could be a disciple. When Jesus gave marching orders to the church, he didn't tell the church, go and make Christians of all the nations. He said, go and what? Make disciples. Disciples. And so I will say this to you as the pastor of the Oasis. This church is never going to be satisfied, nor is our focus on going to be on making people Christian. I don't believe that's being obedient to the Lord's mandate. We're going to focus on making disciples. We're going to focus on hearing the hard stuff and being challenged Not just being entertained. Sometimes having to be uncomfortable. Because it's by the hard truth that we can become disciples if that is really our desire. Again, like I said at the beginning, our flesh wants nothing of this. Our human fallen nature will never put ourselves under an authority, especially when they don't deserve it. Our human flesh and our fallen nature will never embrace suffering, no matter how much we, you know, are, are, uh, we try to talk about the benefits of it. It wants nothing to do with that. Our fallen nature wants to make it all about us. Our fallen nature wants comfort, 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 pampering, pampering, pampering. But it's hopefully that life-giving spirit that God placed within us when we became a Christian that wants more than just being a Christian. We don't want to just know our sins are forgiven, we're on our way to heaven and we're a child of God. We want to be a disciple. And yeah, that means the way is difficult because Jesus said, hey, there are many on the Broadway, but the road that leads to life, abundant life, the highest quality of life, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 14, is difficult and few find that road. Because when it comes right down to it, most Christians are like, I'm pretty comfortable uh, I'm, I'm not going to take up that cross thing. You know, I, I like my life and uh, let, me just, let me just be satisfied where I'm at. So Peter says, For to this you were called, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was maligned, verbally abused, insulted, he did not answer back or stoop to the level of those who were attacking him. And when he suffered, he threatened no retaliation, even though he could have instantly sent them out into eternity. He's the son of God. 
So Peter's saying, look, when you and I as Christians suffer, one of the things that we should call to mind is Jesus and his suffering. Because unlike us, and sometimes we don't deserve the suffering that we go through. We don't. But if anybody didn't deserve what he went through for us, it was Jesus. He was perfect. Never committed any sin. Never treated anybody wrong. Never a bad word came out of his mouth. And Peter goes on to say, even when he was being beaten, even when he was being scourged, even when they were placing the crown of thorns on his head, even when he was being nailed to a cross, he never sought revenge or retaliation. He never said to those that were doing this to them, I'm going to get you for this. And even though he could have rightfully done so, like I said, he could have just thought the thought and they would have been sent on into eternity because he's God. And he took it all. Leaving us an example to follow in his steps. That's the stuff he didn't do when he was suffering. But here's the key of what he did do in a positive response. Verse 23, but committed himself to God who judges justly. Jesus surrendered to the Father. As an example for us of what we should do when we're going through hardship and affliction and pain and suffering and trial and tribulation... We as disciples will surrender to God. Christians, now you'll fight God. You'll struggle. You'll be like that baby that doesn't want to go to sleep in its mother's arms and go, I'm not going to sleep. You may want me to go to sleep. I'm not going. A disciple of Jesus Christ will rest in the arms of their loving father and go, God, if this is my cross, if this is what you want for me, I rest in you and fall asleep. Surrendering to God. Committing themselves to God. Jesus, again, gave us an example of that. Listen, Jesus was not ever struggling, even in his humanity, with going to the cross and dying for our sins. That wasn't the struggle. The struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane was as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who had perfect fellowship with the Holy Spirit and God the Father from eternity past, he was struggling with knowing that when he took upon himself the sins of all of us, of all time, of the whole world, that that fellowship in a moment of time was going to be broken. And in no way did he want that fellowship to end, but he knew it was the only way to be our sin-bearer was to endure not the physical suffering of the cross, as horrific as it was, and crucifixion was probably the most cruel execution, method of execution that human beings have ever thought up. He struggled with the breaking of fellowship with the Father and the Spirit. That's why in the garden he said, God, if there is any way that this cup could pass from me, meaning that we could do this without breaking fellowship with one another, then let's, let's figure it out. But he said, not my will, but your will. Jesus surrendered and committed himself to God. And said, if this is the way, so be it. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad Jesus took that cross. 
I'm glad even though he was perfect and didn't deserve it, that Jesus embraced that cross for me and took that punishment for me, even though he didn't deserve it. And Jesus calls his followers, his disciples, to have that same mindset. Notice Peter goes on to say in verse 24, he himself, emphatically personal, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Literally, he carried, he bore this great load of sin of all humanity, of all time, and he literally carried it up on that cross of wood upon himself. That we may cease from sinning and live for righteousness. Oh, don't miss that in verse 24. That's key. Do you see there that the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross and sacrificing himself isn't so someone can accept him as their savior and then live however they want to? That's not the purpose. The purpose the Bible says, of Jesus dying on that cross and going through all of that suffering was so we could cease from sinning as Christians and begin to live righteously according to God's standard. In other words, be a disciple. Be a disciple. That's why he died. And then I love this. Talk about a picture. Peter says, by his wounds, you were healed. Let me, let me share something. The word wounds here literally means battle face in the original language. And the Bible tells us in the prophet Isaiah that Jesus was so beaten that his face was so disfigured and marred that he didn't even look human. And so Peter is painting a very vivid picture for us as Christians and saying, do you realize by all the blows and everything that he took that he did that so that you would understand you've been made whole? And notice, you were healed. You were, that's past tense. It's not like a Christian becomes a Christian and has to work all their life to be whole. No, we have to understand what our salvation gave us in Christ. We were made whole. We were healed the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior. What the Christian life is, is figuring out and realizing what it means to be whole in Jesus Christ. In other words, what Peter's saying is, do you realize the Christian, you're not lacking anything. Your salvation isn't incomplete in some way. You're not deficient in some way. When God came into your life through the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, and when you did give your life to Christ, you were made whole. So how sad is it that many Christians go through their life somehow still feeling broken and not whole? I think that's because they stay at that Christian level. 
Because the only way we really begin to understand the wholeness of our salvation is when we're willing, like Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to take up our cross and truly follow him. Then we begin to understand the wholeness that we really have. That we are invincible in God. And nothing can overcome us. Nothing can conquer us in him. So he says... Verse 25. For you are going astray like sheep. And that's what sheep do. They wander out there on their own. But there has to come a point, hopefully, for Christians where, like Peter says, you and I decisively turn back to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. And basically we say, God... I'm tired of wandering out here on my own, doing my own thing in my own way, in my own strength. I now, as your sheep, decisively turn back under your leadership and say to you, I will follow. That's a disciple. A Christian will be that sheep that constantly is out there wandering on their own, never placing themselves under authority, struggling against suffering, questioning God, thinking somehow that God's favor means I'm healthy, wealthy, and wise and have everything I want all the time, that everything's going good, that means God's favoring me. Never realizing the strategic position that we have and that the best way to show the reality and the greatness of our faith is when things are going really bad for us and we can still thrive and the light of God can still shine in our lives even when we're hurting. That's when the world begins to see there's something different about them. Because a normal human being would just be crushed under such circumstances. A normal human being could never be at peace under such circumstances. A normal human being could never experience joy in such circumstances. What's different? Our faith that is invincible is what's different. And so Peter is calling those sheep that he was talking to to say, isn't it time for you to come back, place yourself under the leadership of your shepherd and guardian of your soul and say to Jesus, I will follow. I can remember growing up in the church, singing this little chorus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Today, my friends, I know many of you have either or are going through really hard times right now in your life. You're going through suffering. 
You're going through pain. And I want you to know today that even though you're going through really hard times, it's not that God has turned his back on you. It's that God is highly favoring you. And wants you to see him and your relationship with him and how he can use you in other people's lives in an even greater way. Will you today say to him, I have decided to follow. I will take up that cross and I will follow you, Jesus. Let's pray. God, I... I feel so inadequate to be able to present the truth that Peter contained in this passage of Scripture to these folks today, but I pray in some small way that the folks who were here today and the folks who may one day hear this message on podcast may, may understand the intent of my heart and where I was coming from today with this message. I hope in some strange way that especially for those who are going through really hard times right now, that in some strange way they would be comforted and reassured and encouraged by what this passage is teaching. And God, I pray today that if there's someone here who's never embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior, that maybe today they heard something that would spark within them the desire to want to follow Jesus. And I pray today, Lord, for Christians who are here, who may have up to this point been satisfied to be a child of yours and to have their sins forgiven and know that they were going to heaven, to understand that there's more to this life. That to truly experience the highest quality of life that results in becoming like Jesus Christ, I have to be willing to be a disciple, to follow the Lord closely in his steps and to take up that cross like he took up and follow him. And Lord, for those who are here and striving to be your disciples, Lord, I pray that they would have that endurance to just keep going with you. Keep holding on to that cross that you've given them to carry. And know, Lord, down deep that they are invincible in Jesus Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.